0: Broadcasting for you high atop of Florida's Peninsula at 108 feet. This is Alpha Mike on episode number 88 of Radar Cop Nation. The topic today, the banano crime family, and this is a part of the Wise Guy series. Last episode 87, we discussed the new platform of five series that will go out. On this one, the Wise Guy series, It's, we're going to start off with the traditional Costa Nostra, the Sicilian Mafia. We're going to go into the traditional cartels, and we're going to talk about other organized crime groups that people don't even know that are organized. It is to teach you new knowledge. Now, a lot of this stuff is no longer a secret because the government has successfully imprisoned many of them, so there are hours and hours and hours of transcripts that you can read and enjoy, and they are stories upon stories of the mafia in America. But what we want to do is we want to discuss a little bit of how they got here, who they are, why they exist, and how do they function in today's environment. So sit back and enjoy, we are definitely going to take a ride. Now, speaking of a ride, let's take a small little break. Do you have Uncle Tony's gun that you've had in the drawer at home? It's all rusted out. It's not working very good. And you're wondering, does this thing even function? Well, I know the solution. Pistol Pete over in Miami. Pistol Pete the gunsmith will definitely fix that up, make it brand new. Not, not a little brand new, but brand spanking new for all your gunsmith needs. That's the only guy you need to look up. Pistol Pete, the gunsmith. Of course, in our show notes, we have his information. And it's easier than one, two, three, boxing that and shipping it to him. Well, he'll tell you how to do it. Give Pistol Pete a call. He'll give you the instructions. It's really easy. It's federal firearms dealer, It's a Federal firearms dealer, not a problem for Pistol Pete. And when you go on there and you go and you call him and you go on his Facebook page as well as his um, uh, website itself, you can see all the magic that Pistol Pete produces. Now, of course, we always have the leadership quote of the day of the week. And we definitely are going to bring you that before we start the nitty-gritty. So let's go off to the leadership quote of the week. And I'll quote this week from our good friend Lucky Luciano. There's no such thing as good money. Or bad money, there's just money. Charles Lucky Luciano. And of course, here on Radio Cop Nation, the Wise Guy series, you can find out who Luke Lucky Luciano was. But today we're going to feature the Banano Crime Family. Got a lot on the plate, so let's get started. <laughs> Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the main event. This is episode number eighty-eight, where we're going to speak about Don Pepino Bonano, the father, as he quoted, of the Bonano family. Now, the Bonano family. Was awarded to Joseph Bonanno in 1931. Now, we're not going to go into in-depth so much of the history because this would be a 72-hour episode. So, for time and for the sake of keeping people awake, we're going to cut straight to 1931. Now, prior to that, there was, of course, uh, a a non-organized organized crime, if that makes sense. And then they came the customary wars that Lucky Luciano and so forth were involved in, removing the old guard, or better known as the Mustache Peets, and they established in 1931 the commission, which today still exists. The commission, at the time, awarded... Joe Bonanno, his own family, at the tender age of 26. He moves through his family, of course, like all mafiosos at the time. He's from a sacred tradition coming from areas of Sicily, and of course he brings that Sicilian mindset into this organized crime. Now, not all mafiosos are Sicilian, but they are from Italian descent. Born in Casta del Golfo in the province of Trapani, Sicily, emerges the boss of the Benano family, Joseph Benano. He arrives in America at a very young age but he's already somewhat seasoned when he comes from Sicily where the honored tradition had been placed forth in his head. As we said, the commission in 1931 awards him his own family. He moves into areas from bootlegging that was prior to 1931 and then he moves into uh, gambling, loan sharking, Uh, prostitution, all these rackets that the mob has always had, but also narcotics, even though he adamantly denies it. Bonanno comes from a tradition where the Sicilians would say they were men of honor, and we'll talk about a biography that he did, which cost everybody greatly, and we'll explain that later on. But their sacred tradition is basically the boss is the boss, and he ruled. In astonishing history of the mafia, he ruled ruled his family for over 30 years, which in itself is legendary. And it goes to show you the effectiveness of law enforcement against mafia influence, that to even think that a mob boss can control a family for more than three years today is, is monumental. Imagine what thirty did. The reason he triumphed so long is because it took a while and took very long for American law enforcement to catch up. Now, there was an interview where Joseph Bonanno was interviewed by 60 Minutes, and this claim comes from Ira Rosen, which is a 60 Minutes producer. He basically says that the power of the mafia over the FBI was that Lansky, Meyer Lansky, and we'll talk about him in the future, in the Wise Guys series of Raider Cop Nation, he was the bearer of the secret. He's the one that had the picture. When they pressed him for what he was saying, he said, yeah, he had the picture of Jay Hoover and the discovery of the mafia that he was homosexual. So they bribed Jay Hoover. That's from Joseph Bonanno. So he's the bearer of many, many secrets of La Costa Nostra in America, dating back his roots prior to 1931, actually, so the credibility that he has is tremendous. Of course, there was a couple of exaggerations here or there. Nevertheless, he rules his family for over 30 years, and then the dispute came in. Now, there are some things that we need to note. We're going to take a little sidebar, and we're going to get involved with some statistics Today, the mafia is created of nine families, and a lot of people don't know the exact number, but you have the five families from New York. Of course, you have Chicago, which is considered called the outfit, and the New Jersey mafia, New England and Philadelphia, making up the nine. All the other families that used to exist, Louisiana and Tampa and all that, they're gone almost they don't exist. Their, their territories do exist. In other words, other, these nine families can take over those areas if they feel like they can go ahead and venture into that area, that market. So what we need to know is the mindset, how do you become a mafioso? Now, today, if you are a soldier those are the rankings of the mafia. You have soldier, capo, and of course the hierarchy starting with the underboss and the boss. And then there's the position of consulary, which is the counselor to the boss that the boss picks. So let's break it down. First you have the soldier. Now the soldier is usually picked because he knows people. He just didn't apply for the job and hand in his resume and say, I would like to be a soldier in the mafia. He knows people. He grew up with people. He knows the way of thinking. A lot of them usually come from their roots. Uncles, cousins, brothers, fathers, grandfathers were all a part of the lifestyle. So they're nurtured in there too. You have to have Italian ancestry and that in itself, that rule from back in the 30s was uh, lightened up a bit for the new mafia generation. In the old generation, you had to have mother and father had to be Italian. The new one, it's just your father has to be Italian. So you can't get into this sacred society without having an Italian father. Now, in 1931, when Luciano um, created the commission with other bosses, of course, he also had his eye on what was called and considered the syndicate. And the, that was a criminal enterprise that ranged from Murder Incorporated and other areas of crime and other ethnicity, the Irish, uh, the Jewish mobs, and so forth. And they could work together on certain criminal aspects. But the Italian mafia didn't like that, what they called disorganization. They only knew what they learned in the old country and that things ran in a paramilitary mindset. So they wanted their own organized crime. Of course, Lansky and Luciano agreed to it to make the the Italian mafiosos comfortable in the syndicate operations. The five families in New York were very much into the old ways where there was a fluctuation in the Chicago outfit which did use the syndicate more so than anybody else. So... You've come from the old country. You've come from the old neighborhood. You're learning the ways. Your, your family's a part of it. Your friends are a part of it. There's no secret who you are. I'm always dumbfounded how a guy like Donnie Brasco and in, in, the, in the movie Donnie Brasco, where the FBI agent infiltrates the Banana family, crippling it. And he's there for many, many years. And, well, that's going to be an episode also. It's tremendous undercover work that was created. But here's a guy that really nobody knew in the mob. There was no history. There was no family ties. This guy just showed up. He ends up infiltrating the mafia on one principle and one principle only. Pure greed. He masqueraded as a jewelry thief, and they all liked what he was selling. At the, as a result, for years being infiltrated, he was even proposed for induction as a soldier because he was an earner. So what is an earner? Is a person that brings in money. So prior to being a soldier, you have to be an associate. An associate is connected to a soldier the associates go out and produce money, rackets, all kinds of schemes. And if they get into any trouble, they reach out to their soldier of the family that they're associated with, and everything is resolved. Of course, the difference between an associate and a soldier is that the soldier is governed by the commission and therefore... Is a man of respect. If that's what they consider it. An associate, an associate is eh, expendable. You can get rid of him, two in the back of the head, and send him to swimming with the fishes, especially if he's not that good of an earner. Now, of course, if he is an earner, they're going to protect him tooth and nail. So associates are usually proposed for membership in this exclusive club to become a soldier. Now, the ceremonial aspect of it is also from old tradition, the burning of the, of the saint in your hand and giving the oath and blah, 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 blah. Of course, that oath means less today than it did when it was first created, but today it's mostly symbolic. So now you've become a soldier in a specific mafia family, and here we're talking about the bananas you will now will have to be assigned to a captain, which is called a capo. Now, this capo will, of course, direct you in what you need to do, and you, as a soldier, have to produce and give him a kickback on whatever your rackets are. Some capos demand a specific amount monthly, and there's no questions about it. When the capo calls, you come. So the capo becomes your boss, in a sense. The hierarchy on top is something foreign to you as a soldier because you're just looking at the capo as your boss. Capos move money. The higher they are earners in the organization, the more clout they have in the organization with the underboss, the boss. Now, the position of the consulary that we discuss is an appointed counselor that the boss places. Sometimes these bosses have placed relatives or close friends. Of course, they have to be inducted in the family. But they're not there because of any specific reason other than they give counsel. The real job of a consulary is to basically talk to the boss out of certain things that he might be pissed at over a soldier's actions that have caused some type of disrespect to the family. And because of the old tradition, the sentence would be death, let's say. So the consulary kind of has to smoothen that over. He's a liaison between those underworld soldier figures and the boss all the way on the top. Now, of course, if you come and you start whining and complaining to the consulary, he might tell the boss, and because you're whining like a little Girl Scout, you might get whacked. So as you can tell, the consulary now has turned into a position of power. And the hierarchy is probably number three. But a consulary doesn't really have muscle but he he has influence as long as the boss is the boss and the boss is breathing, the consulary exists. So that's the structure, understanding how that works. (coughs) Give you an example. Another example is you have a, a soldier, and that soldier might have, let's say, 100 associates underneath them. And those associates are all kicking money up to the soldier. The capo might have ten uh, soldiers underneath him. So now you got a kind of understanding of the size and magnitude of this. Now the reality is that a lot of soldiers they don't really produce anything. It's a small percentage. That are bringing in the tons of money. The ones that are just there for shits and giggles, they're put to work by the producers, the earners. They give them small things to do: go do this, go get this, go go do that, because they're not very good earners. They're either not educated or they just don't have any business smarts. But they're gangsters, so they're put to work by the earners. The earners have a place they immediately are identified by the organization and they move up the corporate structure. And we are going to look at the phenomena of what's called musical chairs and how law enforcement has not picked up the musical chair theme or they're playing that they haven't understood the musical chair theme. And I'll explain that in a second. All right, so we move on. Bonanno now goes into the mid-60s in a dispute. Now, there's three, there's there's errors in, in the mafia that we need to look at that are very important. 1931, 1957, 1975, and 1985. So take out your crayons and your your cardboard boxes, kids, and let's write these, these, dates down when we're dealing with the Italian Mafia because in every family, these are time periods that affected these families greatly. Of course, 1931 was the creation of the commission. So it placed a organized criminal empire together under one umbrella, a board of directors. And for you to do something outside the day-to-day operations of the criminal empire, you needed the board approval. Without it, it could cost you greatly. 1957 was another crucial change in mafia leadership. In 1957 is where there are radical moves now to move Albert Anastasia, which was the head of um, Murder Incorporated, and his underboss at the time, Carlo Gambino, kind of played Parcheesi and, and made a deal with the Commission. So they got rid of Albert. Boom, he's gone. Gambino laid in that position. Same thing with Prvaci. He, he, they, 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 uh, they kind of moved him out of the way, and they threw in uh, a good capo, which turned rat by the name of um, Colombo, Joe Colombo. Now, when I mean rat, he didn't inform the federal authorities of what was going on. He informed the commission that Joseph Bonanno and Provaci wanted to kill Gambino and they wanted to make, and Lucchese, and they wanted to make some moves of their own on the commission. For a reward for being a good rat to the commission, Gambino instilled in Colombo his own family kicked out Provaci, kicking the pants with him, and to make matters cementing the deal, they changed the name from the Provaci family to the Colombo family. But Joe Bonanno, now in in this era, he's on he's on thin ice now, as of nineteen fifty seven, because. The new commission members, the new bosses, Luke um, uh, Carlo Gambino, did not like that uh, he was undermining and trying to get rid of him. Of course, that, that would piss people off. 1975, why is that date as important? Well, this is the date. Now, from the 60s all the way up until probably the early 70s, they're not inducting anybody. It's like... You've got soldiers that are 90 years old, and the bosses were content with what was coming in, and they kept everything on the, on, on the low end, and they weren't replacing their soldiers to the magnitude they should have. And this was an era that was important because when they started opening the books, they were creating the new leadership, which started folding like cheap suits later on. So it might have been a critical mistake of the mafia on two points. Number one, not making and inducting new members on somewhat of a percentage basis every three, four, five years and just going cold turkey from the the late 50s to all of a sudden the 70s. And all of a sudden, oh, look, we ain't got enough guys. What the hell? And now we're running around just inducting anybody. And those anybodies will become future leaders, and they really don't have what it takes because they were never mentored. Then, 1985, the most crucial of the years for the mafia, especially because of Joseph Penano, it's the commission case against the commission. The FBI and the Justice Department put together their case, where they charged all the bosses of all five families of having a conspiracy to this commission thing. Well, where are they going to get the evidence for this? Well, Joseph Bonanno wrote his famous biography that was published in 1983 called A Man of Honor. And on there, he spilled his guts out about the commission. And as a result... A young prosecutor in New York by the name of Rudy Giuliani read it and said, This is a godsend. This guy actually spelled all this crap out for us. And they prosecuted these guys. Cos Banano was on the shelf since nineteen sixty-nine. Putting on the shelf means he was an active was an active boss. That was the agreement he had reached with the commission at the time. I'll go away, just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And they agreed upon it, and he wrote this book, and nobody was paying attention, and bam, everybody got hit. So their hierarchy at that time, nineteen eighty-five, it it's of all the from the five families, four of them were just cremated, and that would be the Colombo family, Lucchese, Gambino, and of course Genovese. The Banano family really didn't have in effect, because Banana was just writing about stuff that he knew about. And he really didn't know about his own family, believe it or not, in the 80s. Uh, a lot of the inner, because he had been put on the shelf. So these are important dates to remember and to understand in the Mafia Wise Guy series that we're doing. All right, so now we're rolling into the disputed age of the 60s and there's a list of characters that the commission had placed, and I'm not going to go into the, this guy and that guy because they don't mean anything uh, to you, the listener. They were placed in there by the commission while Banano was on the run. Now, he did, in 1964, say that he was kidnapped while walking with his attorney down the street in Manhattan so you're the boss of a family in the middle of a, of a war, the Banana Wars. and You don't have bodyguards? Nobody believes that. So obviously, it was later disputed in testimony of a New Jersey crime family that said that Banana created that whole thing up. Um, he was on the run, and he went to his cousin, Magandino, for protection. And Mangadino up in Buffalo, New York, kept him there for six weeks until he couldn't take him anymore. He said, get lost. You're on your own. So Banana was on the run at this point because he knew that the commission was going to – they were going to kill him eventually. So he decided to run. That caused the Banana Wars, and there's a lot of dispute of who's boss and who's not because the Banana Crime family was split into two factions the faction that the commission had approved and said, okay, you're the boss. And the loyalist, the one that says, who's this guy going to be boss? This guy ain't nobody. So these two fractions, they're fighting it out, shooting it out daily on the street. And that went on for years. So in 1973 now, this is an important date in the Banano family, they come up with a ruling commission of Joe Diamond Evoli. Joe DeDeFiply and Phil Rusty Restelli. These three now are capos, and they're going to run the daily activity of the Banana Family. Now, the Commission came up with the, the panel of three because the disrespect. If they pick somebody, well, now nah, you picked him because he's a puppet of so and so. So to avoid that, they came up with the council of three in a family. That will play into our musical chair scenario down the road in a few minutes. When Phil Ristelli finally takes over in 1973, he's appointed the boss because our other two commission members or capos, uh, Joe Diamond and Joe DeFippoli, they uh, die out. Simple as that. They're old age, and I'm going to prison, I'm dying, they died. So Rustelli now, Rusty Rustelli, which is a capo in Math, Maspeth, Queens, he takes over, and he was true to legendary form. There's, today, there's not too much known about him. He was born in Brooklyn. That's it. Nobody knows where he came from, where his family was. who. He's a freaking mystery even to the mob. But he's a loyalist because he spent so many years behind bars and he never sang. And as a result of that, he had respect of many soldiers and compos out on the street. They respect in all different families because Rusty Ristelli wouldn't talk. Now, Ristelli has a young protege underneath him, showed him the rackets early on. And that would be Joe Massino. Now, we're going to get to him in a minute. But while Phil Rusty Ristelli's in prison from 73 to 91, Carmine Galante comes out in 74. Now, Carmine Galante was an important figure in the Bonanno family under Joe Bonanno. At one time, he could have been the underboss, And, of course, he was a capo. He was from the old town in Sicily, where Joe was from. And therefore, he dealt in, let's say, uh, narcotics like McDonald's deals in Big Macs. And he's an earner. So he did a long stint in prison where he started talking and talking, real tough behind bars, that when he goes out in the street, he's going to take what's his. Because At the end, he was a banana loyalist and he didn't like what all this crap that was going on. People were going to have to deal with him when he got outside. Tough guy. And a lot of the other mob families didn't want to deal with him and they definitely didn't want to mess with him. Comes out and he starts dealing in heroin and big bushels. This is during the era of what is known as the French Connection. And Roste... Excuse me, uh, Collante's up into his kneecaps into a lot of this stuff. He's very arrogant, very flamboyant. He has positioned himself as acting boss. Restelli, basically, to keep the peace, has allowed him to be the street boss or the acting boss while he's in prison. But a lot of people were uncomfortable with uh Galante, cigar-toking Galante at the helm. So his demise comes after he starts flipping his mouth. In 1979, July 1979, they got rid of him with um, a couple of shotgun blasts at Joe and Mary's Italian-American restaurant in Nicobacca Avenue in Brooklyn. And that was the end of uh, Joe Galante died with cigar in mouth and everything. And Rostelli, he reached out to his protege, Joseph Massino. And he basically said, now this is a young guy. He's just a soldier at the time. And he said, you tell people that I sent you. Now, the reason he could say that is because Massino was from Rostelli's crew in Maspeth, Queens. Everybody knew if he used Rostelli's name, it's got to be true. He went to the other families and he told them Phil wants to whack uh, Carmine Galante because he's dealing in dope, and that's a, that's a no-no. Now, that's one of those rules that the mafia has that's a rule but not really a rule. It's a, It's a wink and a nod, and that is you're not allowed to deal in drugs because drugs is bad business, and we don't do that. But a lot of them do it. But if you get caught, it's a death sentence. So this guy's just blatantly, uh, Carmine Galante, blatantly out there uh, doing this stuff, and who's going to do anything about it? So the commission heard the argument from Massino as as a message that was coming from uh, Rostelli, and of course at that point they gave the okay to get rid of him. Massino gets the guys together, His crew of murderers, all three of them, he used what is the term of zips. They're Sicilians. They're imported from Sicily into the mob. They know the ways of the mob, and they're sitting around waiting for something to do. Some of them don't even speak good English. They get into rackets and all that. But the American mobsters are like, well, you guys are sitting around here with your hands in your pockets. You need to get your hands dirty. So they would send them on contract hits. So Massino placed three of them together, and um, their problem with Carmine Galante ended up on the on the floor. And that was the end of it. So as a result of that, Restelli now gives Massino a position of capo. Ristelli is still in prison. He's, he, he's there in and out a couple of times, but up until like 91. So in 91 is where we see Joe Massino come into fold. Now, Massino got hit with a big case later on, but Massino was so powerful in the Banano family from 91 into 2004 that the commission actually wanted to change the name of the Banano family to the Massino family. But because Big Joe Massino made a huge mistake, the commission said, no, 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 we'll rethink that. See, the mistake that Massino made was he became a rat. Yes, that's right, a government informant in 2004. So you can't have a family if you're going to be a rat. Either or, you're on our side or on their side. But he was effective. When he took over power, he was immediately, he came out of prison. He was going in and out of prison. When he came out of prison, he said, Messino, we're going to do away with uh, these social clubs and all this stuff that got us in trouble in the 80s with John Gotti. And uh, he had a mandate that all couples and soldiers had to report once a week to the social club. And the FBI just stood there taking pictures all day long of everybody showing up. It was an asinine freaking policy of his, but his ego was bigger than than his brain. And as a result, everybody went unwillingly. They, They knew that that was going to be a huge, huge mistake. At this point, I was really looking at more information of how Massino came up with these decisions. Now, obviously, I'm a firm believer in mentorship. So his, his boss at the time, Rusty Ristelli, after his passing, he had, he had really instilled that in Massino's head. All this attraction of what we do. It's not a part of our world, and we need to get rid of it. But I also believe he came up with a theory, and that is the musical chair theory that we talked about earlier. And how the musical chair theory works is there are a panel of three couples that are placed over the family. Now, let's get back into the Banano family, and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. All right, so Messino, 91 to 2004, boss, all of a sudden in 2004, he's looking at a death sentence on him, a couple of murders that he did. So he reached out to the prosecutor and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, I got some stories to tell you, but you got to take away the death sentence. And he chirped like a bird, devastated. This guy was the boss of the commission at this point. Remember I told you in 1985 all all the bosses went down, okay? So you had Persico, the Colombo family, gone. You had Gotti, gone. well, um, first Paul Castellano was indicted, but uh, Gotti said, well, I'll get rid of for the government. And then Gotti ended up getting it. And then you had uh, the Genovese family with Fat Tony Solano and uh, the Lucchese family. All these people, their, their leadership with Tony Ducks Colorado over at the Lucchese family, they all got imprisoned for 100 years in 1985, over Joe Bonanno's freaking memoirs and his biography, A Man of Honor, talking about the commission. But Joe Messina was in prison at the time, and he was the acting boss of the Bonanno family. So now this is greatly weighed upon him. We got to change the way we freaking do business. When he comes out in the street, he's the boss of bosses now. The new kids on the block are looking at him like, boy, this guy's it. And he comes up with some strict guidelines. And one of them is that he says, um, no attention to yourself. And we've got the musical chair commission. All right, so after he goes state, uh, he goes state and starts talking about everything that went on in 04, the new boss is Vinny Gorgeous Biscayano. Now, he was boss from 04 to 11. He brought in a lot of Sicilians. He started um, bringing in the Omega, the the oath, and uh, don't talk and all that other stuff, and really started bringing up the numbers. So together with what Massino had done and 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 um, Vinnie Gorges, they they created a monster where the Banano family had over 150 soldiers, and put that put that in mathematical terms, and. Of course, he goes to prison, and now we have a list of acting bosses. Today, the acting boss is a guy by the name of Joe C. And, But that's not who you need to look at because it is actually a commission of guys. Now, the musical chair concept is if you're a boss and you're in jail, then you're the boss. Why? Because you're in jail. Now, if the family head is not in jail, it's ring around the rosy. Who's in charge? Because they establish the three capos as the ruling panel, and they're usually the three earners. But it's, since it's hard to figure out who's earning, who's not, who's doing what, let's say you have fifteen capos in one family or twenty capos, law enforcement now is sucking their thumb trying to figure out who's the boss. The soldiers on the street really don't know it either. Of course, they're not stupid, but they're told, hey, your job is to report to so-and-so. Don't worry about who's giving the freaking orders on the top. So this has really thrown off law enforcement and buffered the people on the top. It was greatly needed because the people on the top, people like Paul Castellano, they didn't have much respect for soldiers. They didn't really even deal with them. And I believe, I believe that was the demise of these bosses. They didn't socialize with the, with the little folks. So these panels now are, are regarded as street bosses. And they know from associates to soldiers to capos. But let's say you got three in a ruling panel and two go to jail, two are replaced, and the other one stays, and you still, who the hell's in charge? It's just a ruling panel. They play musical chairs, and they pass it along. It's a, it's a board of directors type of setup, and it keeps the authorities on their toes trying to figure out who's who. Of course, nowadays, the federal government is more concerned with the hairspray that the president is using than La Costa Nostra, and the mafia has flourished big time. Today we look at the Banano family. It is a family by name. Joe Bonanno was, as he called it, the father of the family. But it has stayed more as of a name of legacy than anything. They did try to change it during Messino's era, but Messino changed that by becoming a cooperative witness in 04. So... They kind of ruled and said, you know what, just keep the old man's name and that's it, we'll move on from there. Now, the commission has a the ruling panel. So you go, how do you get three people in one family to be on a commission? Well, they choose who that person's going to be. But it's always musical chairs, it's never the same person. So the interest of the family is always first, paramount, over the individual person, where well, you might have had with well, a greedy boss is always grabbing that money. Here, it's about the family interest. So it makes it much more difficult. The Banano family today has grown in muscle, in money, in power. Um, over 150 soldiers. They're reported to have at least 15 couples, and they have sprung their operation wherever they can land. their strong points, of course, in Brooklyn, Bronx, and Queens. Of course, that doesn't stop them from going to Staten Island and all the other places. And then not only in the city of New York. They have expanded to Canada, where there was a Rizzuto family, which is just an offspring of the Banano family. A lot of people like to call them the sixth family and all this other stuff. He's just a capo. He was part of the Bonanno family. And we will have a series on on Rizzuto's because there's a struggle up there, up in Canada. But that was an extension and the foresight of Joe Bonanno in the 60s when uh, he chose to go up to Canada and disrespected the commission at the time, especially his cousin, Magadino, out of Buffalo, which said, hey, that area is supposed to be designated for me. And Joseph sucks to be you. I'm on the move <laughs> and created the mafia in Canada. They're in Florida. They are everywhere they can go. The Banana crime family. Where will they end up? Who knows? But I don't think the organized crime is as strong as it once was. I know for a fact that they're not producing the money that they once did. Law enforcement likes to say, well, they're nothing more than a street gang, which is a bunch of baloney. They're still organized, they're still deadly, and they're still looking for rackets to control. For us to, to basically say that they are non-existent and they're bigger and better, I wouldn't go that route right right away. They're still fairly, very organized than any other criminal organization. And they have a steady supply to pick from for their future, not only from the streets of New York, the streets in the U.S., and the streets in Sicily and Italy. They are just growing in numbers, and they're on everything. Of course, some of their their logic is all about the greed of money, and that is the root of all evil, as we know, and people will talk if hit with hard sentences, so the Bonanno family has brought in a lot of Sicilians from the old country. The Zips, a little more difficult for them to talk, because a lot of their family relatives are still in Sicily. And in Sicily, if they open up the newspaper there and see that you are cooperating with with American um, law enforcement agencies, let's just say that your immediate family may not be liked in the neighborhood. and that would be a problem. The banana crime family, they have made a lot of havoc in this country and a lot of money. They still exist folks. They haven't gone anywhere. Now, as usual, we will continue on the Rated Cop Nation Wise Guy series, Coming up with a list of shows. Of course, we're going to cover the rest, the other four families in New York. We're going to go to New Jersey. We're going to go to Philadelphia. We're going to go to Chicago. And we're we're going to go to New England. We're going to discuss these other families. And then when we finish talking about them, we're going to cross the Atlantic. And we're going to go to Sicily. we're going to talk about the great octopus over there, known as the Sicilian Mafia. There's a lot to listen to, a lot you can grow from listening to Radio Cop Nation. Most of the information that I told you here today, eh, public knowledge, you can pick it up. it doesn't. Just pick up any transcript of any grand jury and you can read about it. But the mindset of the bad guys is what a lot of people are concerned with. And some law enforcement really doesn't understand it. So the question might be, well, how, did, how in the world do you know all this? Let's just say that I have a friend that has a friend that knows a friend. This is Alpha Mike, encouraging you to continue in prayer for yourself, for your family, for your community, and for the law enforcement agency that serves you. But most importantly, always keeping in prayer the United States of America. Till we meet again, this is Alpha Mike, over and out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies, to the oceans, white with foam. America My home Right, telephone tough guy. Put Vito on a phone. Take it easy. We're not making a western here.